All right, Lee, welcome back to the Expanded Minds podcast. So last week's episode, we had covered dream in, or inception in general. And so there's principles such as we talked about attention and presence. So usually if you like have your attention, you know, out here, or if you have it in the front, it usually leaves you open in the back to get attacked. You know, where your, where your attention is, your presence is also. We also talked about a little bit about suggestibility, hypnosis, and we talked a little yeah. bit about waking sleep and also how um, hypnosis and how it happens in the waking sleep world and stuff like that. Um, is there anything else before we just dive right into uh, dream obsession or dream hacking? Um, no, I think you, you covered the, the main points that we've already covered. So it kind of primes us nicely for uh, this part of dream hacking. Is there an experience that you've had, um, like with dream hacking that has opened up your eyes to like maybe how it works or, uh, like how someone hacks your dreams and stuff like that? Yeah. Well, I'll preface this, uh, whole conversation. Um, firstly, by saying that we have to get to the kind of the first principles as, as to what dreams actually are and what is their purpose. Um, for the most part, we don't really know. And even the research, research really, or contemporary scientific and psychological research only really started around about 1953. So it's, you could say it's a new kind of science in terms of mainstream and contemporary science. Um, anything prior to that, it was more or less left to the, the um, uh, esoteric schools, uh, occultists, and um, things like uh, the shamans. But historically speaking dreaming was an important aspect of existence and i would i would strongly suggest that uh, a lot more emphasis and information knowledge was known in previous times um since the advent of modern day scientism probably from around about 1874 onwards uh it's kind of been eradicated from you could say the common consciousness and even on that subject of conscious versus the subconscious I think that's kind of uh, almost a um, a red herring in many ways. Yeah, so there's like an emphasis on dreams back then. Um, I mean, at what point did you what started to make the emphasis less important over time? Like, is there a certain event or in terms of humanity? Yeah, because yeah, I mean, obviously, of... if you look at the Bible, for example, that's like a, a an example of a book that emphasizes on dreams and how people can, you know, their destiny is literally changed by uh, a dream that they get. So like, at what point did these things, you know, become like useless or was there a certain event that people just like, eh, you know, it's not, well, it's not really that important. Yeah, it depends on where you sort of start the, the timeline really. Um, but it's safe to say if we kind of go backwards, um, that with the advent of what we would call materialism, uh, which is pretty much driven by scientism. So what you can um, uh, physically touch, or at least with the five senses, can can um, have a perception from, it, it's given importance. Anything outside of that is almost uh, ignored or eradicated. Now, if you look at all of the uh, historical um, uh, knowledge, even if you take religion, uh, a huge proportion of 
even the books that, that were written were from dreams or uh, there was a greater importance placed on dreams. Whereas now, if you say, well, I had a dream and uh, this happened, people will generally shrug it off as though because it's in a dream, it's, it's no longer important. But just as a sort of simple example of a type of genius, uh, if you look at uh, Vincent van Gogh, uh, he had quite a famous quote or saying, which goes uh, something like, um, I dream my paintings and I paint my dreams. And that pretty much kind of wraps up everything, um, especially when it comes to the creative process. Now, a part of the preface is that straight away, when we talk about dream hacking, it kind of sounds quite nefarious. When in reality, and I teach this to my students, that dream hacking isn't necessarily, or it doesn't have to be framed in a nefarious way. We can actually hack our own dreams. And that takes us to the question of what is the purpose of dreams? So it's important for me to, to communicate that dreaming does have a purpose and it's actually uh, a function for humans to have the ability to solve problems. And it takes us back to the conversation that we had about the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system. So just to, just as a recap, or for anybody that missed um, the earlier podcast, the sympathetic nervous system, in simple terms, is fight, flight, or freeze. It's, it's the system that we will use when we're confronted or we have uh, a type of fear. Okay. Uh, the parasympathetic nervous system is the system that we would use normally, naturally, on a day-to-day -day basis. And humans living normally and naturally are meant to live predominantly, if not all the time, in the parasympathetic, which is connected to um, feeding, breeding, uh, eating, and, and just uh, life as opposed to survival or the survival function of the sympathetic nervous system. Now, that's not to say that one is good and one is bad, because there are times that we do need to, to tap into the sympathetic nervous system in times of a crisis and emergency, um, as, a, as a very quick reaction to a threat. But it's only meant to last long, for long enough for us to get out of that situation. And then we can quickly return to our parasympathetic state or homeostasis, as some people will call it. Um, the, the main problem that we're faced with is through, uh, you could say, through, through our psychology, we're artificially placed into the sympathetic nervous system of fight, flight, and freeze when we don't need to be and this can be triggered in many different ways as we previously discussed um, but it's mostly through you could say the perceptions that we receive from say mainstream media or news or rumors or gossip um, and social media now if you look at um, stuff like uh, telegram groups they are completely loaded with all these conspiracies about how everything's going to um, be bad and the world's going to end soon and if we don't do x y and z this is going to happen which um that in itself can and is enough to put you into the sympathetic nervous system fight flight or freeze and if we spend too much time in that in that system we end up with what's known as chronic tension so i do i do want to talk about um the problem with chronic tension or 
involuntary tension. So that could be. Yeah, I'll go ahead. Let's go ahead and go yeah. to that. Okay, so for those who probably don't understand or may not understand exactly what I mean by involuntary tension, uh, so we we have what we would call assumptions or assertions of how we use our energy, um, how we have uh, different types of tension. So as a simple example, if I'm, I'm sitting still, so you would assume that there's no tension, but I do have the ability to tense my arm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'm using tension. I also have the ability to move my arm, but my arm is completely relaxed. I'm not using any tension. Okay, so just because we're physically still doesn't mean to say that there's no tension taking place. And this is heavily connected to um, the, the subject matter, the sleep state, and how much tension that we actually have in our, in our um, sleep state. Uh, and this will explain why you could have eight hours sleep wake up and feel exhausted um it's also important that we have to understand the waking sleep world and the sleep sleep world and the threshold in between and in many ways our waking states are not too dissimilar to our sleeping states it's just that our sleeping states are far more nebulous far more fluid um, they're not as crystallized or hardened as our waking reality. Yeah. So, with the, um, God, I'm trying to process through all that. <laughs> but um, okay. So when you're starting to like release tension, for example, and I mean you're falling asleep, um, or let's actually walk through the, the sleeping process. So you're going to sure. sleep, right? And then. I did, I did a little bit of reading to like Gurdjieff and stuff. And so when you, when you start to fall asleep, is it like you're letting go of certain centers or like you're detaching them from one another and you're slowly releasing it to sleep? Is that how he sees it or is it? Um... Well, so, so as an example, um, humanity and this, I'm talking uh, in, in sort of in general terms. So humanity through the lack of education of our functioning, especially the inner functions, we generally, when, when we should be awake, we're in a awakened sleep state, which means our centers are not properly connected. We haven't gone through a process of fusion, which would mean that we are able to integrate our thinking, our feeling, and our uh, movement or our physical planetary body. So there's no fusion, so there's a disconnect. So that would create a dysfunction in our waking life. Equally, when we go to sleep, we go to sleep with our centers semi-connected. And this is just, just basic uh, dysfunctional living through the lack of knowledge of how our centers or our accumulators and our energy actually works. So let's, let's start with um, uh, the waking state. So to have a true waking state where we can receive the adequate um, perceptions that are proper to a waking human, we need to have our centers connected. So there's, and I, and I won't go into it now, but there's many exercises where you can um, create a fusion between our centers so that we can be fully awake, have the ability to go from awareness into focus and everything in between. Okay, so let's look at the sleeping state. So most people don't sleep properly. They don't sleep well. And that will be equally measured in their waking state. So because they don't sleep well, they're not awake well. So 
the problem, the main problem with humanity is that they're neither properly awake and they're equally neither properly asleep. So <laughs> what we aim to do in, in the work that we do is that we, uh, we try to fuse and connect our centers in waking state or states. And then when we go to sleep at night, we do the opposite. We um, allow ourselves or allow the centers to disconnect properly. And this will explain why we may have certain dreams that would be purely psychological and there's no emotional content. That's because maybe our psychological state, uh, center, sorry, thinking center is still awake when we should be sleeping when it should be disconnected. Um, we may have dreams that are emotionally based or fueled. Um, we may have dreams that, as an example, are a combination of a psychological dream and an emotional um, uh, emphasis. And then we've all had those dreams where you're trying to escape or you're trying to run, but you can't. And that's because your moving center is switched off or disconnected. So what we aim to do, and, and um, Mr. Gurdjieff, he actually said it took him 17 years of practice not to have dreams. <laughs> so, so his aim was to not have dreams. So he would see that as his way of um, having proper sleep, real sleep, where he could uh, re-energize his centers. The accumulators of his centers could be um, filled up. And then when he wakes up in, in, in the next day or the next 24-hour cycle, he would have a full 10 amp, amps of energy, as he would describe it. But just, just before we, we move on, uh, I really want to stress that um, uh, so if, we, if we're always having dreams, that's probably a good indication that there are some problems that we're looking to resolve in our existence. So we, it's almost like we're rehearsing those problems and we're able to present those problems that in the waking state, we would be put straight into the sympathetic nervous system. So when we're sleeping, and um, if we can have a, a level of lucidity, which requires uh, energy, we're able to process those scenarios, situations of the dreams in a parasympathetic way. So it's almost like a, a problem-solving tool to uh, give us the ability to be in parasympathetic, in our waking state. And on that, we can actually use it as a function to fix, repair, heal uh, things that we may perceive to be problematic in our waking state by using types of uh, um, uh, dream protocols in order to correct those issues. Dream protocols, like what are what does that mean? Well, it'd be like uh, uh, methods, techniques, strategies, of which there's there, there's many. Um, I must just add that there is a lot of pseudoscience uh, surrounding the whole dream uh, concept or, or ideas. Um, of course, you've got the mainstream version or contemporary psychological version of what dreams are for, um, but for the most part. It's kind of, uh, you could say, it's kind of probably falsely ag agreed upon um, by the psychological world that dreams are purely there just to file data and information that we pick up on a day-to-day -day basis. So it's a way of kind of cleaning up psychology. Yeah. And then, I mean, last interview you said, um, I mean, we kind of laid out some stuff here, but you said you're kind of on the fence between like um, 
Gurdjieff's point of view and then with dreams and stuff is basically what you said here, like, you know, what you're on the fence about, like, I mean, or like, what are you on the fence about in terms of dreams in general, like between Gurdjieff's point of view and then what do you kind of experience and stuff? Well, so as an example, when I do my evening uh, Zoom sessions or dojos, um, sometimes we finish quite late at night, so people are going to leave uh, that session and pretty much go straight to sleep. So I always finish the sessions by saying, um, I wish everybody well. I wish that everybody has either no dreams or if you do dream, that they give you the results that are proper to, uh, to your existence. So the same way that we could waste our lives in um, types of confusion, worry, anxiety, doubt, hesitation, fear, in our waking state, we can equally do the same in our dream world. So it would, it would be quite normal and natural and acceptable for me to suggest that in your waking state that you that you're organized, that you live a healthy life, that you live a life and you process uh, your existence in a proper way. But we tend not to do that in our sleep world, of which the sleep world is either one third, um, and it can be even up to 50% of our life or existence. Um, there's little to no interest or uh, emphasis placed on the dream world. So I think humanity, uh, by ignoring that, is missing, uh, miss missing the whole point of the dream world. I genuinely feel, think, uh, and sense that the whole dream function was given as a gift to humanity. Why do you think like people don't dream at night? I mean, I was like, girl, it took 17 years to train ourselves to not dream, but then there are some people that just don't get dreams. Is that, do you think that's a suppression? Do you think that's like maybe uh, that could be, uh, I mean, what could be the reason or what are your thoughts behind people just not dreaming in general? Well, there could be a number of reasons. It's probably mostly, uh, probably the lack of awareness. Um, just because you don't dream doesn't mean it's a good thing. Just because you do dream doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. What Gershiff is really pointing towards and most of my work would point towards is that we need to have a healthy relationship with our centers in our waking state. We also need to have an equally uh, healthy relationship with our centers in our sleeping states. Now, so when I say that uh, I wish you have no dreams, that could simply be that you are fully rested and you have no anxiety in your life. You have no problems in your life that you need resolving. You have no um, uh, need to rehearse, to predict, to plan. Um, actually, there's the four functions of dreams. So this is, this is part of the protocols. So as an example, um, and quite possibly the majority of people listening to this podcast now may have never heard it and explained in this way. So the four functions of a dream, and you'd be pleased to know, they're positive. Uh, I'm very, I'm very um, invested in uh, helping people not to be in fear of dreams, because straight from the get-go, if you're in fear of the whole dream world because of inception and extraction and all of these things, um, you're pretty much going to start off in the sympathetic nervous system and you're going to be navigating your whole dream world from a position of fear. So um, the four the four uh, functions, and they don't have to be in this order, I'll say them in this order just, just for simplicity. So the first one is prediction. Okay, so the dream world can actually give us 
types of prediction or precognitive dreams. Okay, uh, the second one is to plan. So as an example, if you've got an event, you organize an event or something like that, you may actually find the solutions and the ability to plan better in the dreaming state. The third one is to create. So a lot of creative people, in fact, I would put money on it that the majority, if not all, creative people, of which we all are to one degree or another, but those that are really creative, like uh, artists, musicians, architects, uh, designers, um, they will use the dream function or functions to give them um, the advantage in terms of their ability to create. And then lastly, uh, is to project. So uh, to project, that means that we have the ability, like uh, Vincent van Gogh said, uh, he had the ability to paint his dreams. So he, first of all, he would dream his paintings, and then he would use, um, which is a type of inception, and then he would have the ability to extract that data in order to paint his dreams. And just on this point, um, it's important to understand that uh, when we use the terms like inception, it, it, it might be a bit misleading. Um, so inception generally means to put something into a dream. Extraction would mean to take something out of the dream. And this mm -hmm. is generally the area where most people will struggle because they either get it conflated and there's no kind of um, clarity about this particular thing. And remember what I said a few moments ago, that this whole notion of dream hacking doesn't mean that there's some uh, nefarious people sitting in a, a laboratory trying to hack our dreams, although that is part of it. Dream hacking can be sim a simple um, uh, toolbox for everybody to use on a, on a daily or nightly basis in order to rectify or heal or to problem solve. Yeah, and then, I mean, my first thought is like lucid dreaming, because I mean, lucid dreaming is a, um, one way you can like get a lot out of your dreams. And then, yeah. um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm also reminded too of like, when we talk about waking up, or at least you mentioned the last episode, like you said like the conscious mind needs some kind of stimulation in order to like, or the right amount of energy or something to like wake up. And it's kind of like the same thing with like lucid dreaming where you need some kind of stimulus or some kind of spark to realize that it's a dream. And then once that happens, then like you can kind of like, and I have become lucid and stuff. I mean, what, what's your take on like lucid dreaming? And is that kind of what you mean by dream hacking is like being able to like be lucid and be like, you know, get all the information you want and then come back to your body and remember it. Yeah, well, this is all it's all connected. And as we go through this, and um, you've probably gone through a lot of this data and information more than than, other, than others, you'll start to see that there is connections, there are correlations, even to self-remembering, self-observation. Um, because we need, a lot of the time, things what we would call as conscious shocks. So we need to have a conscious shock to wake up. Now, uh, you could almost say it's mirrored in the dream world. So when we're in a dream, we have the ability to give ourselves enough of a conscious shock to wake up in the dream, but not too much of a conscious shock that we actually wake up. Um, I mean, it's a fascinating subject and we could, we could sit here for hours and hours and hours and hours. So um, I just want to try and explain that I'm trying my best to consolidate a lot of this information uh, very, uh, 
almost quickly and the ability to articulate it uh, as, as best as I can because it is yeah. it is an, a very mysterious it's a kind of very nebulous world um, and rightfully so because and, and, I'll, and I'll explain why because humans are you could say one of the few creatures within this realm that have way more possibilities and potential than a lot of the other creatures so we've been gifted with this almost uh, creative um, aspect to us so when we go into uh, a dream world especially if we can get lucid guess what we're able to almost bend reality and create realities um and and but this almost not not the secret but the key to this is how you get into the dream and then you how, how you get out of the dream because most of us could have the most amazing um creative capacity within our dreams but we lose it on the way out we have no memory of it and it's lost so i spent many many years <laughs> this is quite funny i spent many many years where i would have a dream where i was a stand-up comedian and there would be uh, hundreds of people uh, laughing at, from the jokes that I told, but I could never remember the jokes. So um, I used to try my best. Uh, and this is kind of way before I got into the whole subject of, of dreams and dream hacking. Um, so I used to try and write things down and I'd kind of like get half of the joke, but I wouldn't get the punchline. And it was so frustrating. It's almost like I was being uh, tormented. And I actually thought to myself, if I could extract those jokes, because from what I can remember within the dream, they weren't jokes that I'd heard before. It's not like I was just repeating. These were brand new jokes and they had the audience uh, in stitches. And I always thought if I could extract those jokes, I could become probably the most successful comedian in the world. Not that <laughs> that would be my chosen career, but that's just how things were <laughs> with those particular dreams. <laughs> I mean, have you ever used like techniques like, I know that with your conscious mind, for example, you can just tell, tell yourself like, I don't know, wake up or you can like remind yourself, you know, remember this when you go to sleep and kind of just drill it in your head. And as soon as you go into the dream, then like it kind of gives you a so, sort of stimulus or like a springboard. So yeah. when you're in the dream, then all of a sudden it gives you energy to like wake up in that situation and extract what you need. And then mm -hmm. when you come back into, when you come back from that dream and you're, trying to extract the information, I guess you say download it. I mean, you also need that certain stimulus too to like come back into your body, which is why like when some people like uh, wake up, for example, from a dream um, and they're like, oh, like it's that's, that felt real. Like this come back into a body. I think that's what it kind of is where they have like enough stimulus energy that, um, you know, like mm -hmm. that was in that dream or whatever. But I mean, have you ever used like reminders in dreams and you were able to actually ex successfully extract information and uh stuff like that yeah well this this is connected to uh the protocols that i was um spoke about right at the beginning or just after the beginning so there's protocols to get in there's protocols to get out uh so you've heard the term uh like the kick it was, the, it was, used, it was used in the film Planet inception Earth? so they use the technique called the kick which basically means oh yeah, yeah, you, yeah, give, yeah. you give yourself a falling sensation yeah which we've all so had like those dreams where we have a sense of falling over 
or slipping over and we wake up. So that's what we would call the kick. Um, so a, a kick would be enough uh, of, of a conscious shock or stimulation to wake us up out of the dream. And if we can do it at the precise time when we've got the data that is required, then um, we're able to extract it. What tends to happen, um, because we don't have protocols, we don't have training, um, is that when we get the data, the dream will continue or we'll get distracted into another dream. And then by the time we do wake up, that data's, we've, we've forgotten it. Okay, now equally, uh, the protocol to get into the dream, and, and as you mentioned, we, we can kind of almost prime ourselves with these kind of triggers uh, to remember. Now, um, you've got like the Carlos Castaneda's type where looking at the hands, that's a very common technique. So you look at your hands at least seven times a day. And when you look at your hands, you ask the question, am I awake or am I asleep? And that can ordinary, or, or that can normally or ordinarily be enough to um, wake you up in the, in the sleep state, but not enough so that you wake up fully. Some people use door handles, some people use light switches. Uh, you can, and there's been lots of, well, I say lots, relatively lots of research done into using the other senses. So as an example, you could have a particular smell that you smell, and then you kind of uh, pre-program yourself um, to whatever you want to associate to it. So you could say, like, um, am I awake or am I asleep when you smell something in particular? It could be coffee, something that's quite particular. So you could end up having that smell in the dream or a sound. The easiest one is, is sound. So you play a particular uh, sound when you um, verbalize something. So you're putting the two together. So you're connecting um, your senses with a particular trigger. So that's one way of uh, waking up in a lucid state within a dream. Um, but the main protocol would be, and a lot of organizations, well, I say a lot, uh, it's all in context, um, a lot of, you, even the CIA, they will use techniques like this. So even though it's seen as kind of pseudoscience and woo-woo uh, to the mainstream, the people behind the mainstream don't think it is woo-woo and pseudoscience. They take this very seriously. Um, they would generally use a process, and, it, and it's got many different names, but uh, in simple, simple terms, it would be called a thought, thought incubation for solving, solving problems or problem solving. So we go through a process where we have the ability to incubate a thought or a question or something that we need solving. And we were able to take that into the dream world and get the answers and then extract it. But the critical phase is the moment that before we fall to sleep, which is around about 10 minutes, um, the hypnagogic stage, where we go from kind of the uh, fully crystallized reality and things start to soften and become more fluid within our uh, uh, ability to perceive. Um, a good sign to look out for if you're not sure, if you're going, if you've entered that stage or state, is that you might start to see geometric 
shapes or lights or um, some kind of fluidity within your vision, even though your eyes are closed. And that normally lasts around about two minutes. That's almost a critical phase. That's where you would load up the thought incubation or the question or the trigger. Yeah. And then, um, so, I mean, I've been in float tanks before and it's like when you're in like pitch dark, you know, so there's salt water and then there's just pitch black. And then I would like watch myself fall into the different brainwave states, I guess. It was like, at first, like my mind was racing. I'm like, you know, get me out of here. Like, this is pointless. And then all of a sudden, I start to slow down. Yeah. And then I'll start to go deeper. And then all of a sudden, I'll be in a state where I'm like, I feel like I'm dreaming while awake, but it's like, I can't, it's like I can't necessarily move or anything. It's like, I'm just like in a state where I'm just completely still. I can't move. Mm -hmm. And it just completely slows down. And then at what point do you think you're, at least if you're following along right here, like at what point do you think you start to drop down a little further? Like, are you dreaming and stuff? Like at what point do you think your mind starts to like then create all these realities or different scenarios and then, you know, you enter into them and then like, well, is there, I mean, what brainwave state or whatever is that too? Well, another thing to recognize that um, they call it porpoising. So when we dream, we tend to go up and down. So it's not like, it's not an exact like uh, lowering of the brainwave states. Um, there is a, a degree of, up and downness to all of this there's, there's a fluidity and it's like it's more like a spectrum so it's not like yeah i'm now in this brainwave state i'm now in that one um and a lot of the time the brainwave states can actually be uh, conflated so for instance if you're in uh alpha 12 hertz you could actually be very close to um, beta 12 which is a different brainwave state but you're kind of in between two worlds and what i would strongly recommend for everybody, and this is part of the protocols, I would strongly recommend to people to practice, to get to know thyself in terms of their brainwave states. So just simply lay in bed, close your eyes. First of all, do a, like a, a conscious scan and, and try to dissolve any tension, <clears throat> any tension that we find in our bodies. And then once you stabilize that, then we scan ourselves again. And we're able to almost li literally um, um, disperse or, or um, dissolve tension and we can keep doing that on a conscious level and then at some point um we will lose you could say uh, uh relative consciousness and we'll go nicely glide nicely into the dream or sleeping states um now i, I do want to say dream states because when you're sleeping it doesn't automatically mean you're dreaming 